Well, every conference needs flagship programs that draw viewership outside of just the conference's footprint. And without USC and UCLA, Washington needs to become one of those programs for the Pac-12. But can they? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. We've got my guy, Roman Tomashoff, on the show today. He covers Washington for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. We'll talk about recruiting later. We'll talk about the Big Ten and yada, 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 and all that sort of stuff. But, Roman, I know that on the recruiting front, vibes are higher than they were certainly a few weeks ago for for Seattle fans on, on the trail, and we expect that to uh, continue in in many ways, as we'll get to later. But first, I want to I dive into this question. So, the, the idea of kind of a flagship program to me, when I think of that, I think Alabama, Georgia, LSU in the SEC. I think for a long time, Oklahoma, Texas in the Big 12. I think Ohio State, Michigan in the Big 10. Florida State, kind of Miami, Clemson in, in the ACC. I think every conference needs to have those. And going forward, it would be in the best interests based on the television numbers of the Pac-12 if Washington is in the mix every year with Oregon and Utah, form kind of that trio, I think, of schools where you look at them and say, okay, every time they play, that's must-see TV, and we'll probably decide who gets to the Pac-12 championship game. Do you feel that Washington is capable, with Kalen DeBoer, of being that sort of program? You know, Spencer, I think that's a great question because I absolutely do. Because this is something that we've seen from the program before. Yeah, I know Oregon fans are going to be like, oh, they share a national championship, whatever. We're not going to go into that. But this is something that the program has done before because under Don James in the late 80s, in the early 90s, this was one of the premier programs in the country. And sure, they've taken a lot of time off. They were starting to get there under Chris Peterson when we saw them go to three straight New Year's Six games. And they really still weren't receiving the national recognition that it felt like they deserved. But without USC, without UCLA, yes, absolutely. I do think that Washington can, even with them in the conference, I feel like this program has the opportunity to be one of those premier programs in the conference. And Kalen DeBoer has done a great job of elevating it because it's something that, you know, honestly, quite frankly, under Chris Peterson, he didn't really want and it's something where he just was not a big social media guy, not a big hype guy, just kind of a we'll talk on the field. And that's really the extent of everything that's going to happen around this program did. That was just kind of his mentality. That was his mantra. So kind of seeing Kalen DeBoer not only understand the Peterson way of how to succeed, you know, on the field, on the recruiting trail, doing all those sort of things. Obviously, we're going to recruiting stuff a little bit later. But it's something where Kalen DeBoer, with some of the hires that he's made off the field when it comes to just um, adding to the social team, adding to things like that, we've seen such a major upgrade in those areas that it feels like the answer really is yes. 
because Washington is investing more money in the football program. They understand what it takes to get to that next level. And Kalen DeBoer seems to be a driving force of all that. He seems to be one of the main players just saying, hey, I want to succeed. I want to win a national championship here. And if we're not doing X, Y, and Z, it's not going to happen. So that's something where I expect that to continue to just kind of rise. And if 2023 kind of goes the way that most media outlets kind of uh, expect it to, I'm, I'm one of them where I, I do think that it could be a major year for this team, then yeah, no, absolutely. This this could be one of the premier programs in the Pac-12. It, it feels sustainable at the moment. I do think, Roman, for anyone who would ask a question about whether or not they can, you know, do it and not really have any any kind of bumps in the road in a major way over over a 10-year stretch. It's not that big big brands and conferences don't have down seasons, right? Oklahoma just went uh, six and seven. They were still playing in, in the Big 12 at that time. LSU had, I believe, a six and seven or six and six season with, with Ed Orgeron. Yeah, that wasn't good enough, and, and they, they got him out of there. Even in the Pac-12, USC went four and eight. Oregon had a a four and eight season in, in 2016. It's not that you dub right? Yeah, you dub. Yeah, you dub. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to to get into here is like Washington with you know the the capability they have as a program. They're one of just two Pac-12 schools, remember, to ever make the college football playoff. So when you ask you know anyone wondering out there, like, well, why you know why do you pick Oregon? Why don't you pick Utah? Why don't you pick that? And and by the way, I think Utah is definitely one of the teams in the mix and we know that Utah is sustainable with with, with their head coach as long as Kyle Whittingham is, is there but I think year two is going to be kind of a test of that for Kalen DeBoer of hey you have to show this was not just a flash in the pan you have to keep this thing rolling along because we've seen when Washington doesn't have the right coach and I mean anybody with the wrong coach can you know have a pullback but Washington is not immune to that right like Jimmy Lake had a four and eight season it was all bad now they go out and they seemingly make the right hire there but what are sort of the indicators for you going into year two that that would make you feel yeah this is sustainable and they can be one of the top three football brands going forward in the league because by the television numbers over the last several years the biggest tv draws remaining in the conference are oregon and then washington and utah have been very very similar i think the edge in 2022 they were basically identical but over the last several years i think you put washington ahead just a little bit because the media market's a bit more lucrative in, in Seattle than, than Salt Lake City, but what are kind of those indicators that you'll be looking for, Roman, as to, okay, yeah, this feels like it's going to be an average of nine, nine and a half wins over the course of, of a five-year stretch, which is really what the Pac-12 needs, because you need big-time teams and brands to establish themselves and play in big-time games. Right, so, you know, the, the first thing that I look for is something that I believe Kalen DeBoer has already achieved, and that is the culture that he has instilled at Washington. And it's just, you talk to anybody, whether it be, as you know, a big part of my job is covering recruits, getting on the trail, covering those, those kinds of dudes. And it's not just talking to them. It's talking to the players that are still on the team, looking at literally every single underclassman who could have declared coming back. And that includes Michael Penix. That includes, uh, Michael Penix's not an underclassman, obviously, but still decided to come back. That's Roma Dunze, Jalen Vermillion, Braylon Trice, Zion Tupola Fatui, Troy Fountana, Roger Rosengarten. It's all those guys. And all of them saying, I need to come back because, yeah, the job isn't finished, but this is somebody that I want to play for. And this is somebody that I believe can help take us to the next level. 
because that's something that every single one of them has said since then over the course of spring practice over the course of interviews as to why they were coming back whatever it might be this is a message that they have all been united on and it's all because of that coaching staff and it's something where if you listen to going back even farther it's going back to when a lot of them were kind of mulling the transfer portal when jimmy lake got fired and this new staff came in i've talked to members of the staff that were like yeah everyone was kind of a little bit unsure when we first got there which is understandable oh absolutely and then they kind of got through that first winter workout program and all of a sudden it was boom yeah we're all bought in this is this is where we want to be this is where we're going and we look at some of the hires the, the hire that i like to point to most that kind of just shows what Kalen DeBoer wants in his coaching staff as well as wide receivers coach Jamarcus Shepard. Because there are a few people that I have enjoyed in somebody who covers not just sports, but um, a little bit of entertainment media as well. There are a few people that I like talking to more than Jamarcus Shepard. There are a few more just genuine and engaging people. Kalen DeBoer is actually one of them. But there are a few more engaging people in the media market just that you can talk to than Jamarcus Shepard. Because he's just a, just a good person, a very upfront, who knows what he's talking about. And it just will grab your attention and just me being somebody who, you know, I played college baseball. I've never played a damn tech football in my life. I would like, yeah, if this dude wanted me to go out and play for him, I would do that because he's just that kind of person. And that's something that I believe Kalen DeBoer relies very heavily on. And I feel like I'm just making a very roundabout point here. But the point is he knows what it takes to succeed, especially in a coaching staff. And that's something that he has done a great job of bringing in. And if he can continue to identify those kinds of people when somebody like Ryan Grubb, his offensive coordinator, leaves to take a Power 5 job, maybe some other coaches will follow him and take, take other jobs elsewhere. If he can continue to bring in people like that, then this is going to be a very consistent program. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to, to touch on. You need to be able to acquire talent, not just with your players, but also with, with your coaching staff, the former of which we, we have to discuss because Washington's picked up some momentum there, and I think that's telling as to you know how sustainable all this can be. Your gambling winnings, however, can be as sustainable as you make them if you go check out FanDuel because you can bet everything you want over there. You can take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's all in an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. You can bet all the Pac-12 over-unders, championship odds, win totals. Everything that you want is on FanDuel, and there's no better place to bet Major League Baseball on FanDuel as well, America's number one sports book. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, nice quick little second segment sip to keep us going here. So the uh, yeah, I suppose you're new to that. That's 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 something that we that we got that we got rolling around here. That's, I got, that's the first time I've seen that. So. <laughs> we, we, I gotta give the people who I so appreciate subscribing, listening to, or watching the show the best possible audio quality. You know how I do that? I don't have a sore throat. I don't have a dry mouth. We can't have that sort of stuff. We can't have it. It's unacceptable. Will not be tolerated at any point in time. Anyway, so. 
now that I'm done being weird, I want to get back to, to Washington here. Because I think Kalen DeBoer at this point in time, based on what you've said, has got the culture component down for uh, for, for winning football at the Power 5 level in, in the Pac-12. X's and O's, I think we, see, we saw it last year with the jump that they made with a lot of the same players from a team that went 4-8 and eight the previous year. I think we saw his X's and O prowess at, uh, at Fresno State when he almost beat Oregon at Autzen Stadium and did beat UCLA. LA down there in the Rose Bowl. I think he's got those two items down. But one other element that I think is not necessarily a, a lingering question or a doubt or anything, but I, I think is probably just the biggest question for Kalen DeBoer is, okay, what's what's the recruiting potential here, right? Both on the coaching staff and, and on the players. So let, let's start with the players and then we can get to the staff because I think that that's an interesting point. Washington recruiting about a month ago, Roman, it was in a different stratosphere in a bad way compared to what it is right now. But for, all, for anyone who wants to, you know, Dog on Washington here, pun 100% intended, by the way, for you know them taking a, a longer time to get to get their momentum going. This is exactly the same script that Washington followed on the recruiting trail last season. They were really slow in June. Nothing really happened. They were down next to you know Mountain West and G5 schools in the recruiting rankings, but now things are starting to tick up and up. So talk about the players that, that they've been landing and the players that they are also expected to land here, uh, maybe as people are listening to or watching the show. Yeah. So let's start with last year. So last year, the biggest win that they had at just kind of early on, which is kind of a big signal because – People forget that last year's class ended up finishing 27th overall. For a mainly G5 coaching staff, making that, that jump to the Power 5, I it was excellent. They, they just hit a home run with that class. Yeah, there were a couple of things that, you know, oh, they could have gotten better player here, better player there, whatever. Uh, this coaching staff, when you look at some of the offer, the early offers that they hand out, and I, I was making this point the other day, um, quarterback that they just got to commit the other day, Demarcus Davis from Etiwanda High School down in California. Uh, somebody who was unranked when they offered him is going to see a very big rise. They did a very similar thing last year with um, quarterback Aiden Chillis, who ended up signing with Oregon State. And Childs, up- yeah, Aiden Childs. Childs yes. I, you know, I don't forget about Chillis a couple times. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I apologize, Aiden. I, I, I truly do. Um, but he ended up finishing as a top 60 player. In the two four seven, yeah, for the class twenty twenty. He looks really good, by the way. I don't know if you saw Oregon State oh, spring yeah. game, but he that's 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 a dude. That's a dude right there. And one of the first offers he got was Washington, and they have done this time and time again. My favorite player that I've seen just kind of on film so far in this class is a three star from San Diego named Rachumana Bulabulavu. Uh, How many times did you practice that name before coming on the show? That was yeah. seamless. Zero because I already knew it. Because I, I okay. that. <laughs> that was good. that was good. Anyway, continue. So there, it's one of those things where you know when it's somebody covering recruiting, you kind of have to play to the people a little bit. Where you look at like, oh, they offered this this five star kid. They offered this this four star player. Like somebody who um, is making a decision very soon. Who went to the high school that I also played baseball for. Uh, Peyton Waters, a four-star athlete, I think he's, he'll play safety, is making a decision today. Uh, sounds like it might be Washington, but but we'll see. It's Friday, so you guys will know the outcome of that by, by the time this is listened to. Um, you watch guys like that first, and then it's like, oh, they, they offered this three-star this 
unrated by the composite, three-star kid from San Diego, Rachumanabula Balavu. You turn on his film and you're like, wait, what? What What did I just watch? There are a few players I've ever watched on film that are more explosive than that kid. Rugby background. Plays in a really small high school, which kind of, you know, all contributes to the unranked. He had, you know, his, his other um, official visits that he took were to Oregon State and Arizona, I believe. And if Oregon State offers you to play defense, you know, with, with the way that program has looked over the last couple of years, you, you trust that. You say, yeah, they're kind of in the in the Utah category for me now. Of if that if that school offers you to play defense, yeah, you can play defense. Which is um, which, by the way, just as a quick side note, is an amazing transformation under Jonathan Smith and their defensive coordinator Trent Bray. Because two years ago, Oregon State couldn't stop a nosebleed, and then a season ago they had one of maybe the best defense in the Pac-12 up there with Utah. And I agree with you fully that they are built in the same mold as a program as Utah, and they are now kind of a defensively led team, and offense is a complementary though capable piece. And that is a, a sign of just tr- tremendous, tremendous growth there for, for the Beavs over the last several seasons. Shifting an identity identity like that is is really good jake dickard at washington state by the way has done the same sort of thing that was that was an air raid under mike leach to rolovich the run and shoot to now they are they're a defensively led team and that's a credit to the head coach oh absolutely and big respect to both those staff they're 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 doing awesome things and you just you kind of turn on the film of of that guy you turn on the film of justice williams at oaks christian also just criminal that that dude was unranked 6'4", 205, receiver from Oaks Christian. And just, you turn on the film, you're like, whoa, this dude looks like Roma Dunze. Getting those players and then combining them with Pocky Finau, who I think is an awesome interior offensive lineman uh, from California as well, who's rated somewhere in the 220s overall in the country, I believe. And then somebody else who would be deciding by the end of the week, uh, Dominic Kirks, a four-star from Ohio. Getting in on those guys, it kind of shows that what kind of talent evaluation this staff has, because then you look at the class of 2023. You look at the late flip of uh, Caleb Presley from Oregon to Washington, top player in the state up here. Uh, Really, really talented kid. Combining that with Curly Reed, a four-star from Louisiana. How often do you see Washington pull a four-star from Louisiana? Not often. Never. Never. Not often. There are only, I mean, Washington hasn't even done it very often, but Oregon is frankly one of the. I, I think Stanford has this more than people than people might realize. But in terms of having a national reach and ability to go into other states all over the country and pull a blue chip prospect out, that is no small thing. You do not see a lot of Pac-12 programs doing that. Or Oregon can. Stanford is capable of doing that. They're showing that in 2024 as well. But I I completely agree with you. I think we've talked about Curly Reed on this show before. Not just you know the player that he can be, but what it says about, you know, DeBoer and the staff and, and you know, where they're at in the, in the recruiting. And, and I, I agree with the first point you made talking about recruiting as well. When they first got on the scene, they were coming from, you know, the G5 level, pulled in a top 30 class, which is a testament to Washington's brand, but also the fact that, yeah, the staff does care about recruiting because it's not like Washington is, you know, just roll out of bed and get a top 10 recruiting class. Like you, you, you have some advantages there. Washington high school football scene is growing, I think, and generating a lot more blue chip recruits year in and year out. But you still have to work for it more because you're tucked away up there in the Pacific Northwest. No, absolutely. And then just kind of playing off of that point as well, because Washington really doesn't have that 
that that national reach. And when you you see these occasional players, like okay, they did a really good job doing that. The the best example last year, obviously he kind of fell a lot over the course of his senior year in the recruiting process, is Anthony James. The he was a four star defensive end from uh, Texas. I can't remember where. My apologies to, to him and his family. They're great people. Um, but he when he committed, he was ranked 52nd overall in the country. by 247 Sports. And that was such a huge get at the time. Um, Wiley, was, Texas, by the way. Wiley, yes, that's Yeah, right. Wiley. There, there are so many cities in Texas. As, as somebody from California, you know, the, you, you end up getting lost in the mix of, of all of them. Uh, but getting getting that, that was a really big win. And now we see them in the mix for some, some other uh, high-caliber prospects. The main one who hasn't decided, and it sounds like won't decide for a while, but the Huskies are heavily in the mix for is I I think he's the best defensive lineman in the country, uh, Jericho Johnson down Armillo High School in Northern California, because that dude can play. And yeah, he's going to end up taking visits to Bama and Georgia and USC most likely in the fall, but they're heavily in the mix for him. And if they're able to pull him, it's just kind of this leveling up that the staff needs to continue to do. And Spencer, you texted me about it, what was it, two weeks ago, just asking me, hey, what's going on with recruiting? Like, why is yeah. And, I was and like, that was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was. And I, I, what did I tell you? Be patient. Because one of the, the first things that, um, that Kalen DeBoer likes to stress when it comes to recruiting is he wants to have the majority of his class wrapped up by the end of July. Because it's just, you know, everything with focusing on the season, you know, maybe some late flips, whatever, this, that, and the third thing. But one of the things that he likes to do is get everybody on campus around the same time and just have the ball start rolling from there. And he said it just the other day on a local radio show. He said that, yeah, the staff can recruit, you know, as much as, as possible, but getting, you know, official visits with players on campus, they are our best recruiters because nobody can sell you on the program like a player can. Yep. And I think that's honestly a great way to go about it because this is something that, like I said, he told us back in April where he said, yeah, this is this is our plan. We're going to end up seeing something very similar to this every year. So going forward, if you end up seeing, you know, maybe a couple guys commit early and then just the majority of the class, bang, 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 late June, early July, very similar to what just happened, that does seem like it's going to be a yearly occurrence. But if there's one thing that even in just a year or two, I have learned from watching film from just seeing what kind of talent these guys can bring in. And I've got one more example in Armand and Javon Parker, twin defensive tackles from Fordham, Michigan dudes didn't have any other offers. Basically Uh, it was kind of like Illinois and Michigan state as PWOs. Those are not real programs. No, (laughs) (laughs) those are in some other conference that are not the pac 12. They don't count. (laughs) Definitely, you know, not next on the docket that we'll get to, but those those dudes came in. Javon burned his red shirt. Armand uh, was dealing with an ACL injury, so he didn't play at all. And looks like he could end up even being better than his brother. But what, like, just kind of looking at those dudes on film, it's like, oh wait, these guys are incredible. How did how did these guys kind of go unnoticed like this? And the staff can continue to do that. And if they continue doing that, while also proving that they're in the mix for some high 
some, you know, high caliber recruits like the Jericho Johnsons of the world. Um, I sent Afua, one of the, the local guys here, Jason Brown, if they can continue to pull in these, these Parkers and these Bulabalavus and Justice Williams of the world while also starting to compete at that higher level, this, this program is the sky's the limit. It, it really is. And, and the recruiting we know is, is important. Like the, you will never find me, everybody, in the stars don't matter crowd. You just you won't you won't find me there. It is not it is not a philosophy that I subscribe to. And Washington is starting to rack up the stars to increase their their class ranking. They were down they they, they were in the nineties, right? At, at one. Yeah, yeah, they were 92nd in the country. They've risen all the way up to 49th with with just a couple of blue chip commits. If they do end up landing a couple more as you listen to or watch this show, that should see them continue to rise. But I think, you know, where they can go as a program and whether or not they can be you know, a consistent powerhouse in in the league is not entirely dependent on bringing in high-level recruits. But you have to remember, it's not as if, you know, the, the roster or the, the cupboards were completely bare when, when Kalen DeBoer and company showed up, right? Like, Michael Penix is someone they brought in. Okay, yeah, but a lot of the receivers, a lot of the defensive players, a lot of those guys were on that Washington team that went 4-8 and eight in, in 2021. Not all of them. Like, there, there were new components there, but it's not as if talent acquisition was the biggest problem facing Washington. And I think that once you have, you know, this class of, of Washington players who have had so much success to this point, you know, move on, I think that's going to be a legitimate test and, and question. Not to say they aren't capable based on the recruiting results we've seen. They can pull in top 30, top 20 classes at, at Washington. And if you string together, you know, two Pac-12 titles in three years, I wonder if that doesn't bump up to, hey, can we get a top 10 class? Can we get a top, I don't know about top five. That's That, that takes a long time. But like, could you go top 15? Could you go top 10? I, I think so. And, and just because I mentioned it earlier, I wanted to bring up that another thing DeBoer is going to be tested on, I think we, we all readily admit and Ryan Grubb admits is you have to be able to acquire coaching talent right the best programs have their coordinators get poached and if Washington becomes what the Pac-12 frankly needs them to be which is one of your linchpin teams on the football field who when they play Oregon or when they play Utah everyone is saying okay we got to watch that game like that, that's that's must see television that's you know maybe college game day that's uh, nationally televised primetime slot you have to be able to bring in quality coaches uh, as well. And eventually, I don't think it's happened yet, but eventually, if Washington keeps winning, Kalen DeBoer will be tested on, on that sort of talent acquisition too. No, absolutely. And I, I really love that you brought up, you know, some of the guys that were already on the roster from the 2021 season because though a lot of those guys were in Chris Peterson's final two recruiting classes, which were far and away his best ones yet. He finished, I believe, like 16th and 17th, respectively, in the classes of 2019 and 2020, and did a fantastic job with both of those classes. People argue that's kind of part of the reason that he ended up retiring was because it's just such a grind to recruit at that level at a consistent basis. And he did a really phenomenal job bringing in those classes, and you see the fruits of that labor now. So if that is, you're right, if that's something that can continue, it's, like I said, the sky is, is really is the limit for this program. 
Yeah, in 2019, uh, the class finished uh, 15th overall in in the country uh, under Peterson, and then the 2020 class, uh, just just pulling that up real quick, was uh, was 16th from from the high school ranks. So I think that kind of is, you know, at least from what we've seen, the ceiling until we, uh, you know, reestablish or reset the boundaries on you know what Washington can be recruiting wise. But if you recruit at that sort of level, yeah, that gives you a, a good chance to at least be in in the playoff picture. At at, uh, at, at some point in time if you know only about 50 other things go right o- over the course of a college football season because that's 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 kind of what what it takes and, and and by the way before we jump to our last topic here uh, Washington currently sits fourth in in the Pac-12 in the 2024 recruiting rankings Oregon's first Arizona's third and coming in at second is Stanford just as I tell you what man tr- I'm, I'm not predicting anything I'm just saying Nobody expected Stanford to be where they are at right now. They, like they, they are bringing in, they, they've uh, they've got six four stars and eighteen three stars. They have more commits than anybody else, more total commits than anybody else in the class. I I would love for class pretty early, man. I would love it could be yeah, but I would love for Stanford to be back. Like if you had a top four of. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Utah, and then you had other schools like Oregon State right there, who's capable of, of, of you know playing with those teams as we've seen, or maybe Dillingham builds Arizona State into something like that, or Jed Fish at Arizona, like that. That just feels like a viable competitive league to me. That that yeah, go ahead. My question for you though is if if Stanford does take that jump. Do they still get over 10,000 people in the stands? Or Well, okay, fair, fair question. However, if you go back and watch, I remember I went to the Oregon-Stanford game in 2011, and as an Oregon fan, that was, of course, awesome. But it was a packed house. It was sold out. They are very um, winning-dependent. For, for for showing up when you know when they're not winning you're not it's not like Boulder right okay fans still show up in Boulder even though they've been terrible Bay Area schools eh, not so much you got to you got to win win more football games there but while we have a quote <laughs> yeah that was not that was not a great look not a great look for for Cal there and that, but he he wasn't wrong by the way not did not say anything wrong and. That is a vibe that I completely uh, and utterly understand. Uh, real quick, this question uh, came in, Roman. This was from Rob. All you can be a part of the mailbag, too. YouTube comments or on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 DMs and mentions wide open. Rob says, Spencer, how confident are you that Oregon and Washington won't leave the pack if invited to the Big Ten? To me, they're the key to the pack's long-term sustainability. That's what we talked about at the beginning of the show. Like You, you need a game that everybody wants to watch that's got big implications that's got big brands i think oregon and washington present that you want a big rivalry i think oregon and washington definitely uh present that element uh, as well but you also need like we were talking about those kind of linchpin programs and if if it's not oregon and washington you know who who exactly could could it be if they were to go to the big 10 one day that's a different question but to me, Roman and John Canzano on the podcast the other day talked about how he's, you know, he doesn't think that Oregon and Washington have quite the desire to be in the Big Ten, but it's just, yeah, I, I, I do too. I, I feel like if Oregon, now access to the playoff is the one thing 
that could really keep them there. That's what you'd have to drive home if you're George Case. Hey, your best path to getting into the playoff is right here in the pack, which is true. But you know what they say, money talks and bleep walks. Yep. No, you're you're absolutely right. That was, that was exactly the point I was going to make is it's going to depend on this media deal. And it, it's kind of been leaking out. Not sure how true it is or not, but. Oh, dude, Washington. nobody has any idea. No, no, who, who knows? So, you <laughs> who know, knows? That's why I feel comfortable saying all of it, because there's a chance it's true. Like, you know, I, I could probably throw something out there on a, on a burner account and get like 500 retweets being like, oh. You can get more than that if you say the right thing. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> you can and get a lot more. The, the fact that um, it's, it's kind of leaking out there that, oh, Oregon and Washington are asking for a bigger piece of the pie media. Um, media rights-wise and money-wise, which I, I I believe that because they kind of deserve it at this point. Like with without But US do they have the leverage to ask for that, though? It's... You have to have it... If you're, if you're going to make that demand, I'm not saying they don't have the right to, sure. right, based on the television contract, but do they have a threat that they could... That they could reasonably lobby to the Pac-12 and say, if you don't give us this, we're going to do X. Because I just don't see that avenue. I, I, I think they kind of do, personally. Like, but what, but what is that threat, do you think? I think it's the eventual just kind of um, the Big Ten is eventually just kind of going to be like, yeah, we'll take you. Because this is just kind of the way that it's moving. I, I think that's going to happen. Just from, from some people that I've talked to and... You know, obviously, like, like we just said, it's not like anybody has, you know, a better read on the situation than anybody else. But it does kind of feel like they would jump at the opportunity to join the Big Ten because the money will be there. Yeah. I feel like even taking a reduced cut in the Big Ten for a couple of years might end up being better than whatever the best Pac-12 media Oh, I mean, taking a permanent reduced cut in the Big Ten could be worth more than the than the Pac-12 media deal. Oh, which is Right? Because... I don't think anyone is expecting the media rights deal to pay out, you know, anywhere in the ballpark of like 40 to 45 million dollars a school. But the Big Ten, if a full share is 75, a half share is, you know, what is that, 37 and a half rounded up, call it 40? Like, would they take that and assured relevance and a conference that, you know, can make power moves rather than defensive ones like the Pac-12? It, it feels it feels to me like that answer is yes, they would. No, absolutely. And that's kind of that's kind of where my whole line of thinking comes along is there is so much more that I feel like is given opportunity wise. And, yeah, it might end up being a, a tougher road to the, the playoff. But at the same time, we're getting a 12 team playoff. Like, yeah, there, there are going to be more opportunities anyways. Again. True, but the Big Ten is a tougher conference. You can rack up the losses, and you just introduce another, you know, another series of kind of unknown or beyond your control elements there. Whereas, win the Pac-12, you will get in. Right, that yeah. that will be a de facto auto bid. Absolutely, but at the, at the same time, though, if you don't win the Pac-12, like let's say they decide to stay, and Washington drops that that game to Oregon and drops one other one, whether it be you know Utah, Oregon State, whatever it is, and they miss the the Pac-12 championship. Then it's, you know, it, it, they're basically done. That is, that, yeah, that, that is where it gets tough is the at-large bids right. competing against the other conferences for that. that like, that'd be the calculation. Easier path to a conference championship or tougher path to uh, – or, 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 or easier path to an at-large bid. Like, which one do you feel better about? Like, that's, that's the question. This is something I think about from the year they did make the playoff in 2016. 
the fact that it was kind of like on edge, like, oh, will they beat out Penn State, who I believe they didn't make the Big Ten championship game that, that year. No, I don't think they did either. But it, it, there was, I, I remember there being a legitimate doubt. People were legitimately saying, hey, maybe Penn State deserves this bid over Washington when UW just dominated the conference that year. The only loss was to USC. Like, that was it. And that was... Oh, that, never mind. I stand corrected. Penn State won the Big Ten in 2016. Because there was somebody who... They, beat, was, they beat Wisconsin. Oh, it, was, it was Ohio State that, that got in and, and didn't win, correct? There was something no, but well, that that was that was this past year. Gosh, there have been too many years of the playoff. We're getting it all, we're getting it all uh, crisscrossed and, and and such. But yeah, I mean, those debates will continue when you have a twelve team yeah. playoff. They're not gonna they're not gonna come to an end. It'll just be you know who gets the twelve and the eleven spots and whatnot. But Roman Tomashoff is on Twitter at rtomashoff thirty four. If you want to check out his work, he covers Washington for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. Good to have you on the show as always, my man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Uh, That's going to be tomorrow, by the way. Saturday episode coming. See you then. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day.